Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I am your co-host, Chris from Mukigana Harrington, joined from the great state of New York by Mr. Brandon Howard Thurston. And today, we have a special guest star all the way from the East Coast, from the Figure Four Empire, host of Wrestling Observer Live. He is none other than Mr. Mike Sempervivi. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being on. This is uh, fun for us to talk about business, though, of course, it's it's kind of a depressing subject at times, uh, but all of, of the way that world politics interact, intersects with our wrestling business little uh, hemisphere, and, uh, you know, there's there's only a few of us that really love to think and talk about geopolitical actions, and uh, Mike, you're one of those people, so I was really excited about the opportunity that we could all sit down and, and talk together, and I just want to make sure, Brandon, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Mookie. How are you? good and then it's it's been kind of amazing because brandon has gone from like zero to a hundred on this subject is that i mentioned the the kushagi story a, a couple weeks ago in passing to brandon he didn't really know much about it so he immersed himself and we have spent an enormous amount of time talking about it we did a wrestlenomics premium show this week on thursday and of course the big news on uh friday was that saudi arabia came out with a statement basically admitting that in fact Kasagi was dead and he was killed inside the Turkish or the consulate in Turkey, the Saudi Arabian consulate, and that it was rogue actors in there. Uh, Mike, were you a little surprised to hear that the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia actually came out and admitted it? No, because they're kind of admitting it in the way that I thought that they would, which is admitting it while trying to distance all of the situation away from the ruling class. And we see that happening with, well, now it was a theory and he's no longer the intelligence chief. And, you know, people were dispatched, but then there was a fist fight and things kind of went sideways and this had nothing to do with the government and oops. And oh, and, and in fact, he- the fist fight story has now been changed one more time. It's now a chokehold. And uh, there's an a, admission that apparently they rolled the body in a rug. They gave it, quote, mm. to a local cooperator, someone in Turkey, and that they even had a team member put on uh, his clothes, eyeglasses, and Apple Watch and leave through the back door of the consulate so they could try to use that as video footage if someone asked. Yes, and they are so hard and fast on that. Or, you know, as far as we know, he walked right out of that. You know, that's the report we got. And how could we ever think that there would be ever any chance that anything could be different forgetting about the fact that every embassy in the world records 24 7 both who comes in and out and many times the things that take place inside their consulate so it oh, plus, is a nasty and other other countries tape that consulate door themselves about who is going into that consulate and out of that consulate so even if saudi arabia well, doesn't want to yeah. show the footage turkey has the footage Absolutely, they do. And and Turkey was in, you know, one, you can tape in and out around. You can't, if you're a foreign power or if you're the, even the home country, you can't tape inside. You can't do any surveillance inside, obviously. It's it's Saudi Arabia. It is sovereign soil to them, uh, that, that embassy. So Turkey couldn't do anything inside. But obviously, they were taping outside with their relationship with Saudi Arabia. Of course, they had that place under massive surveillance. And it would be no surprise to anybody that they were doing tapping inside of it where they were able to get anything that happened inside of it. Just this whole situation has been 
rather pathetic, you know, <laughs> on, on Saudi Arabia's side. There's no other way to say it. Obviously, we're going to talk about the business aspect of this, especially as it relates to WWE. But there's no way to look at this uh, from a political point of view, from a humanitarian point of view, from almost any point of view, and not look at this as just a completely sad, pathetic situation, right down to the fact that Saudi Arabia has been changing stories in front of the world and has been playing the shell game over how we're going to play this right in front of the world. When you have breaking news on, well, this is the way they're going to play it. It's like, it is amazing the times we live in where we're watching the lie play out and they're just hoping that you literally see them scooping things up and whipping them against the wall, hoping something sticks. So, Mike, one thing you get to do every week is uh, every day you have a, a co-hosted show with Brian Alvarez where you do Wrestling Observer Live. Sometimes you're talking about stories. Sometimes you're taking call calls. How has it been covering the story? Are you sensing that people are, are becoming kind of tired of day after day of coverage of this? Or is there so many twists and turns that people are still engaged? And are you hearing from any WWE fans calling in being like, I don't care, or they're being like, this really irks me? For the most part, it's been that that, that it irks people. Um, I'm sure the people that listen to Wrestling Observer Live, there's a good deal of them that it's probably like white noise to them, and they are probably respectfully um, dealing with it right now because this may be too much real life to have involved in their wrestling, and in some ways they don't care where WWE spends their money, and you start to... You know, and it's understandable because when you start peeling back the onion on anything, anything that you watch on TV or listen to on the radio or advertise or products that you use, sooner or later, you're going to find a line that they are associated with or tied to that you have a problem with, whether it be morally, politically, socially, whatever, whatever it is. So a lot of times those people... Uh, you know, I have a feeling there's a good deal of them that are respectfully declining anything right now, but understand that it's a massive big story. And I think that's the way most of our our people are playing it, because I, I think it this situation is eliciting, you know, a real, you know, it's a carnal reaction. It's a visceral reaction it, because of what has taken place. And you look at it and it's like WWE essentially is is kind of carrying the, the, the jewel, carrying the crown jewel into the event. And it's like people looking at this as a wrestling fan and they have feelings about it. They have something to say about it, whether it be from the women's aspect, whether it be from just the aspect of is now a good time to go uh, from a business point of view, are you taking blood money? So there, again, it's such a story and it's such a powerful story and WWE is involved in it in such a unique way where it is playing. And granted, there's not a, if this was WrestleMania time, imagine, you know what, maybe it would be more. But if there was a time with more distraction, maybe it wouldn't be so much. But there just guess there doesn't, either doesn't seem to be that reaction or people really are kind of that interested in the story. Because at least the calls that we've gotten have been nobody saying, you know, God, why are you talking about this? We could be talking about best in the world. And they are still calling and talking about evolution. They are still talking about the situation with New Japan and with the Young Bucks and, and contract statuses and things like that. But this is just too major of a story, and it's too important from a, a business point of view, I think, for even the people that don't like this stuff, they are at least respectfully tipping their hat to understanding why it's being talked about so much. So uh, I saw a, a segment 
And were you involved somehow with a TMZ story that also might be related to this? Well, actually, no, not at all. I would have figured I was coming on to talk about that on TMZ, but no, they, they had me on TMZ Live to talk about random stories. So it was <laughs> when I was when I first got the, the direct message from TMZ, I would have figured it was about this or, or possibly like the Khabib Floyd thing or something like that. But no, it was actually for TMZ Live uh, for stories that had absolutely nothing to do with, with this one, which was a which was a very amusing uh, event on Friday for me. And uh, with with all the things here with the crown jewel, let's put our money let's where our mouth is. Is it going to be delayed, canceled, moved, or business as usual? What is your guess today, Mike? Now seeing how far this has played out, I still, I, I, the way it's going, it's feeling like business as usual because we're almost out of time. I mean, when Steve Mnuchin and when Fox Business pulled out of the meeting on Thursday, Thursday I believe that was that was actually on Thursday when they did because uh, Mnuchin's partners or his 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 equals in France and the UK had also pulled out that day. Then he did. Then Fox Business ended up being the last corporate partner, other than El Arabia, you know, which is owned by the Saudi government, uh, to pull out of the, the out of the meetings. Um, I thought that that was the time and that was a perfect uh, piece of light in the, the, the door to jump through and, and to bust it open and to get out of it. They didn't do that. So with them not doing that, it seems to be now that we've got the Saudi government admitting it and now we're going to have that spin and we're probably going to go into somewhat of it. And we'll see how this goes and how long it plays out for and what the news cycle brings us, because we do have midterms coming up and things in this country that are going to knock this story off the front page and off the, you know, the, the main talking head shows, you know, WWE may be able to wait this thing out. Now, what's interesting to me and has been interesting since I saw it was the deadline Hollywood. The uh, Endeavor story. That was written. Yeah, that well, the one that when they talked to Eric Handler of MKM. Oh, the MKM know, story was, about the the amount of money that they might lose by by in fact sacrificing this, and so MKM partners Eric Handler had written that it would be what two to three million dollars of cash flow for this year, and possibly somewhere between twelve and sixteen million for next year, um, which is quote not an inconsequential number, but far less impactful than WWE's new contracts, as he wrote. And I know then Dave started to say that two to three million dollar profit number. Uh, what what were you going to say about that, Mike? Well, it just, I just I saw it immediately and went, well, I got to talk to Mookie and Brandon because it's like <laughs> what I started thinking was, OK, well, we're, what are we really losing here? And this is where I think WWE Look, I understand that there's there's one thing too, you know, when when people look and they go, well, Endeavor pulled out, and this person pulled out, and that person pulled out. It's like WWE and Saudi Arabia, the Saudi Vision 2030 plan can go on swimmingly without WWE. So I, I can see where WWE is looking at this. Of if we pull out of this deal, we can't just go back like these other companies can, with a lot more things going on and a lot more interest into the Saudi government. They can make them lots and lots of more money. Um, where they can just probably stroll back in and all things may be forgiven after this whole thing shakes out. WWE may feel more pressure than that, you know, and that might be it. But I, I sit and I look at the money that he is talking about them getting for this. And I wonder, 
about that $50 million number that was shown in the second quarter of, of the stock this year or through the report this year. They got everybody wondering how much they were actually getting paid for these shows. And I wonder, was that $50 million a handshake and they're getting only a much smaller amount out of these shows? Well, you know, it was I, probably everything taken care of. But that 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 number started to really interest me of how they are coming to to some of this because so if I, that's I, all they were clearing from these shows. I do start to again, you can't put a dollar onto your morals, but you know, if that's all you're getting out of it, I do start to question further you going further about this, and then really how that plays out later on down the line when people say this is the X amount that you sold your soul for. Well, I think there's a couple elements to it. Number one, the $450 million number that we heard about um, was publicly reported by the company as kind of a value of the deal. So I think I think that we, we should still be thinking about the deal as a 40 to $50 million year, year deal. I do think that's the real number. Um, the profit number, I did some regressions and I basically came up with the idea of saying, well, if there's about a 22% margin on the other media category – then when you get about $45 million, that leads to about $10 million increase in your operating income. So I, I do think that there's a possibility that basically what you could say is they spend about $35 million to put on this show. And that's an enormous amount of money to put on a show like this. And that also means a lot of the talent is and, – and what I've heard kind of privately is some people are getting kind of their, quote, best payoff except for mania for these kind of shows, even for, for not a lot of work. Uh, in some cases, and I'm sure for the people like a Shawn Michaels, we're talking three to five million dollars possibly going into it. So you do wonder if some of this is if they killed the show, would it maybe? Yes, it wouldn't help the bottom line or hurt the bottom line for WWE. They love seeing their revenue it skyrocket. So that's a big deal to them. But also the talent themselves, there's probably going to be some of that talent that is is uh, well paid to do these events. And will um, depending on how people feel about it, you know, they're going to feel differently. We hear Jericho come out. All he could complain about was uh, just how difficult the airport was and people wanted too many selfies and he couldn't drink. You know, you heard uh, Orton come out and he gave the company line change, 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 change. And JBL, of course, came out and Jerry Lawler came out and they both said, oh, no, it's a good thing for us to do. But I got to believe there's a lot of people who are uncomfortable. We, we heard Corey Graves kind of quietly griping about it during the show and, of course, on his, his Instagram and other places later. So it is one of those really weird situations where I think a lot of people feel like they're being sent to go to a place and do things. And increasingly, it's being reflected upon them as if it's their values and their choice to do it. And I still think the Sami Zayn doctrine is really kind of disturbing to people just to say, you know, it's it's so big of a, a, an influence that this company is is getting from the Saudi government that it might even extend to the point of saying, I don't want this wrestler there because they are too closely associated with, um, you know, some other element here. And just the fact that they ran such a jingoistic angle with the Dabari brothers the last time around really just says to you. This is not being treated like a wrestling show that's just being booked as WWE on the road. It's being booked as a personal playground for, what is it, uh, El Sheik Turkey or whatever his name is, the sports minister? Yeah. Well, you know, it's they, they, they ran a jingoistic angle with two people that got death threats afterwards. And they that was, I don't know if history will record the balls that, I guess that would be the word that it took. to, to I mean, walk down with an Iranian brothers. flag. 
That was incredible. Walking yeah. down the ring with a, a, a flag, I was just like, oh, my God, how many people? Especially because later we found out people like even MBS was in the arena at the time. And you're just like, oh, my God. Wow. How do you I mean, clear the, that with that many people? Us, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the people like us that, like, pay attention to news and have a you know, clue of what's going on. I mean, like, as soon as, like, a lot of us saw that, it was just like, oh, you know, the, they got to get out of here. And, and there's where... Uh, you know, it gets downplayed a lot because you want to put the brave face on and you want to act like there's going to be no issues or no problems or anything like that. But don't think that, that men and you know, don't have trepidation over going over there and, well, and have issues with going to a place where people don't like you. <laughs> not only do they not like you, oh, uh, the, a woman was shown in athletic gear for about 10 seconds on the last show and you have people calling for somebody's head for that, you know, almost literally because, you know, Sasha Banks appeared during the commercial that they aired on the show and that, you know, violated the, the rules. I mean, it is a, you're going to a, a place that just does not share your Western values and is a hardcore place. And there are going to be people that are not saying anything that are really upset that we're praying for the state department to come out and give any excuse at all to, to get this show cut. And it's not happening, but it doesn't make, you know, for good feelings inside the company and for good feelings between those people and their bosses when they feel as though they have to go over and do this. Even though technically, as, as, as independent contractors, they don't have to. And how many people have ever done that before? You know, Rob Van Dam being really one of the only notable ones. Now, Jim Cornette, I know, came out in his podcast and said, I ain't going to Kuwait. So that's why he never went to the Kuwaiti Cup. When I guess Yokozuna and, and Bulldog and, and, and Cam Cornette was, was over there. Yeah. And Vader and those guys were over there. Thank God that he wasn't around Vader when he was over in Kuwait. Um, you know, but, but Rob Van Dam not going on the tribute to the troop shows. That's about the only guy I can think of publicly that has, has turned it down and, you know, was able to, to kind of keep the spot because of it. So, uh, you know, it's a, it is a, it's something really interesting that you're asking your people. And on top of that, too, I mean, count the Canadians on this show. There aren't any. And the reason why is the Saudis and the Canadians have had a blow up now going back at least a year. Actually, it's been longer than that, but at least in the last year because of the crackdowns and because of the situation in Yemen. Not counting the situation, but obviously that you brought up about Sami Zayn in Syria. And there's another thing on top of everything else. If that's your brother and that's somebody that, that you look positively on and you support the work that he's doing, you know, with the, the hospitals, the, the mobile hospitals and everything going on in Syria, you know, you may not want to go and put on a happy show for these dudes either. I mean, I, it's, as soon as I heard about Kevin Owens having surgery, and obviously he had legitimate surgery, but it's like, you know, good, fortuitous timing for him because he would have no reason other than his friendship with, with Sami Zayn to tell his bosses to go piss up a rope. You know, I don't want to do this and support these people and wrestle on this sold show for these people. And thankfully, he didn't have to. And I, I wonder, you know, if we're going to have injuries that, that crop up the same way they happen in football games that may not be too important. And a guy's got to get that hamstring ice down that he's been dealing with all season long. And all of a sudden, he just can't go ahead and play on that game. I wonder if this is going to continue to happen where we have people propping up with injuries or maybe getting their injuries fixed up to try to get out of going out on places where they just flat don't want to go. Well, they, they did have a Cirque Soleil show in uh, Saudi Arabia, actually one of the largest Cirque Soleil shows they've ever done as a production for, I think it's called National Day. 
And there was a lot of uh, questions leading up to that show about because Cirque Soleil is technically a Montreal company. And was there going to be too much tension between the Canadians and, and, and the kingdom of Saudi Arabia to hold it? And to me, I think that's a very good um, kind of example of where in the past there's been tensions and then they still said, we want to just do this entertainment show. But I got to say, just going back to that Divari story, you know, can you imagine if someone in one of those airports didn't really see this as a, a worked thing, but instead saw this as a shoot? And can you just imagine how terrifying it would be for a Divari brother to be pulled aside at the airport when they're leaving there? And they're like, "We, you need to be dealt with separately in this other room. And in the wake of this whole story with Jamal Khashoggi, it's just like, oh, my God, anything could happen to someone in and, one of these situations. And, you, you don't really well, know. The, yes. And in, in a country like this where it's like it just it takes one nut. To just be, you know, to to be able to to touch you, and you know, and this this is where they live, you know, they live near the Canadian. They, I believe they're both in Minnesota, right? They they still both there, you know. Regardless, wherever they are, it doesn't matter. I mean, you can be touched in this country as easily as you can anywhere else, yeah. and it just takes one crazy person to go that you violated Islam, you know, or or whatever it would be, or you know, it just it 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 is. I, them doing that in hindsight again, I, that will never get as much attention as I think it needs. And thankfully, it didn't get. You know, we're we're not going to talk about it in a more tragic point of point of view. And I hope we never do. But like, that's something where it's like you did your cute pro wrestling thing. There's a real thing here. It's like the Connor Khabib thing in a lesser way, where it's like for one guy this was promotion. For another guy, you're talking about his religion, his soul, everything, his manhood. That's how he's taking this. He's taking it to the street. And, like, you're doing your pro wrestling cute stuff, and it's like, those are two guys of Persian descent who happen to be Americans who, I mean, they got a lot of boxes getting ticked against them if some, you know, crazy, you know, person wants to go out there and, and you know, an extremist wants to go out there and take a shot and, and basically, in their case, you know, grab skins and grab scalps, essentially, because this is what they do to two high-profile people that, that soiled, you know, the... the I just, I don't know. It just was a, a horrible thing. And thankfully nothing, you know, we hopefully we never have to talk about it in a worse way. Cause you're exactly right. I mean, what if they would have grabbed him or grabbed them and said, no, nah, we don't like this. We take this as an affront. I mean, what could you do? The fact is, you know, you can, you can't do anything. And, and Mike, can you give us a, a quick review of like, what, what are the political relations between Saudi Arabia and Iran that, that made that angle with the Dvari brothers so reckless? Well, it's just, you know, the Iranians being Persians and, and, and Shiite. I mean, it's just there's a, a whole, you know, religious and geopolitical, you know, issue. Everybody's fighting in that region and, and jockeying for control. And one of the reasons we're so in support of Saudi Arabia or that we turn the other way and look the other way on so many things, the reason, you know, our president uh, right now was, was one of the reasons he was trying to downplay things or the work we do with Saudi Arabia against Iran, you know, and Iran's uh, funding of Hezbollah, which has been obviously a major issue in Syria and in, in Yemen uh, and in Lebanon, uh, where, you know, the, the Saudis called back the prime minister. I mean, he was a guy that was kind of, you know, a, a propped up there. Hariri was kind of propped up there as trying to be the best of all world, worlds there. And, and that's, that's where they're at with with that. So that's where our, our, our backing of the Saudis comes from. And 
and the Turks being closer to Iran, and everybody's got a sphere of influence there. There are, are, are bases that are popping up uh, along the Red Sea. Iran has now got two of them, which is getting dangerously close to the Saudis and the Iranian influence in, in Qatar and, and being you know, semi-close to them, which is now causing Saudis problems with Qatar even further than they already had. So it is a, again, it is a, a lot of what it comes down to is belief, <laughs> you know, and, and how they view Islam. And then from a governmental point of view, it all comes uh, as far as jockeying for power and control and position in a, in an area that, if I'm not mistaken, too, throughout most of it, a lot of that area is Shiite, which is obviously, which falls back to the Iranians. And there's, again, and the Saudis, who have held everything under their thumb for a long time, uh, have got a lot of extremists inside their country who, and one of the successes of our government over there has been places like Libya, frankly, and, and Saddam Hussein in Iraq, you know, in some ways were a great benefit to the United States because they were just interested in power and control. And it didn't really matter that, you know, Saddam Hussein was a Sunni. He was just holding an entire country under thumb. Now, the problem was a lot of those people were Shiites who didn't like the Sunnis on top of not liking an American. So, I mean, the things that have blown up over the years, I mean, it would be really hard to get into all of them now and, and how to crisscross all of them now. But a lot of it just comes down to belief and to power and to control and where the United States fits into that. And, and right now, with our administration, we have been very hard line on Iran. We have been very hard line on and wanting to stick with Saudi Arabia in places where there are pressure situations. Um, and it's just a, again, we have Kurds that are involved with both Turkey and Saudi Arabia, too, as both of them are trying to eliminate them and, and the Iranians. It's just a, it's a, it's a complete mess over there. And that's, you know, the mess that you walk into when you take on deals with the Saudi government or with the United Arab Emirates or anybody else at the WWE or anybody else does business with over there. And, and that's the challenge I think is that WWE is basically walking into this and thinking, okay, you know, Saudi Arabia has invested in Formula One racing. They've invested in soccer. They're going to have a tennis match. They're just spending money to make this Vision 2030 program happen. And at the same time, they made a deal with us. And what I've always wondered is, do you think there's any kind of a perception in the Saudi community that making a deal with WWE, you're making the deal with the husband of a member of the Trump cabinet and it's a backdoor way to kind of be able to twist the arm of, of the Trump administration one way or not, whether or not it's a, a good assumption. Um, do you think that kind of influence and decision played any role in this or is that just Mookie's own conspiracy theory? Well, I mean, it doesn't hurt. And, and by the way, I apologize for the scattershot nature. I kind of went went through that, but, you know, but it, it is very, you know, I started thinking about it. It's like there's so many things at play there talking about that, that Saudi Iranian <laughs> relationship as well as a lot of relationships over there. But um I, it's just, it's just very convenient. You know, this relationship has been there for 75 years. You know, again, it's been a strategic partnership between America and the United States. So it doesn't really matter who would have been there. If you have somebody, you know, you're going to have to do business with them anyway, and they're going to have to do business with each other. It just happened to be that, that you're coming along with a, a vision plan for yourself at a time where the president of the United States 
loves big shiny you know he loves nicknames and you got one with mbs you know i mean why isn't why does he love mad dog mattis so much because he's mad dog mattis and he loves <laughs> saying it over and over again he likes mbs he sees a young guy you know who likes to spend lots of money and he you know it's just he they've had a good relationship in the past you know that family has bought boats from him they bought apartment buildings from him so you know, he's already, you know, apt to deal with them and excited to deal with them. So it just happened to be a nice deal that works out for each other. That Linda McMahon is there and, oh, great, we can do business with Vince too. But I think it doesn't really matter. I think in some ways, Linda, you know, Linda's just basically a a figurehead and a face that people can put through this and go, you know, this everything is shady. And look, it is. I mean, when you think about why Linda is there, she's there because, you know, sure, she has some credentials to be there. Absolutely. But they spent a lot of money. You know, <laughs> they spent a but lot they of money. They spent to a whole lot of money. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And, they spent a boatload of money for the Trump Foundation. So when you do that and you can apply the face to it and you go, well, look at this, you're doing business with this person's company. Look, they'd be doing with business with WWE anyway. They were doing business with monster trucks, bringing them over there. Of course, they're going to do business with WWE. They've already got a relationship with WWE in uh, in Dubai. So, like, that's that's not a shock to me. But when you're able to put the face to it, when you're able to be in a situation like you are right now politically in this country, you know, it, it's just an easy thing to do. So, you know, it's I think really more than anything, that's what it is. Uh, you know, they'd be doing business with them either way. And and I think what you're getting at is is that it, this was likely a mass miscalculation by the Saudi Arabian government about how outraged people would be seeing it as an American journalist being killed in the situation, because it's it's it reminds me a lot of the circumstances with Afghanistan, Pakistan and India, where there was a lot of distrust, where at times Pakistan wouldn't it would view any overture from the U.S. as if it's some sort of secret demand from India, rather than a lot of times it was more that the U.S. was obsessed with al-Qaeda, and that's why they were obsessed with things. But they were seeing it through their own lens in the same way that the Saudis are sometimes seeing the Qataris and, and claiming that the Qataris are, have too much influence in the U.S. and and that that's the secret people controlling all, everything here and and who is slandering them. And, it, it, and we were talking about damage, though. You know, Riyadh's main stock market has plunged about 7% in the last two weeks here. And they said that wiped out the whole gains of 2018. Yeah. And there's a lot of fear of U.S. sanctions going on here. And I think this is also the thing that is kind of miscalculated is they might have thought, well, Donald Trump is never going to really freak out on this because he is not a person who's ever going to put uh, the human rights of one person over a, a giant weapons deal because it involves his favorite things, money and, and the military. But on the flip side, he didn't – They, I don't think the they – necessarily calculated correctly understanding how the congress could turn against him including republicans because they were not quick to just kind of back down on this and we've heard lindsey graham refer to mbs as a, a wrecking ball and we've seen several of them come out and really rip into what's happening here and so i'm really curious whether or not we're going to see sanctions and if we do get to anywhere close to that point whether wwe would ever use that as a way to kind of exit out of this deal in the future but i think you're right as it stands today i think wwe is still going to go through with this in the end i've i've said that since the beginning and i was really shocked that mnuchin actually did pull back 
um, because I thought that the Trump administration just would not give in on this at all. And so the fact that they did a little bit means that finally, for the first time, I had kind of a sliver of belief that maybe WWE would do something. And the fact they have not put tickets on sale yet, despite the fact they said they would back on Friday, but they have not yet, does mean that there seems to be at least a little consideration going on in that company. But we've got photos of, of well, it, uh, the construction being started on the, uh, the entranceway and so forth, right? Of something. We think that it is that's what it is. But, you know, someone could be just sending me some some stadium picture of anything known to man and say that right. this is that stadium. I right. wouldn't know the difference. There's nothing that says Crown Jewel on it or WWE for that. No, matter. no. But it, it, it makes it seem like maybe it's starting off right now. Yeah. Well, I tell you, you know, it's it, it just shows you that probably, well, it shows you what Mike Pompeo probably heard, you know, on that tape. And, and, you know, when he was given, you know, the, the, the transcript he said he, he wasn't given and the, uh, the, the audio recording that he said he couldn't talk about uh, when he was leaving. Um, obviously, there's a lot to that, you know, other than the fact that there were all these signs pointing to what, what everybody believes had happened anyway. Um, that seemed to kind of tilt some things very quickly uh, and kind of change the uh, change the attitude. But, you know, the. the unbelievably brazen, you know, attitude that they had. I mean, look how empowered this kid has been. And I say a kid because he's 33 years old. You know, they, there was, you know, this has not been a, in 2016, you know, it was a two-man race to see who would take kind of control of the country. And this guy has gone in there and he had the whole deal with the whole Ritz-Carlton thing with, with the, the massive seizing of assets including one guy dying, you know, with, with princes and, and, and businessmen being locked up. You had the issue with, the, with Hariri being called back under, you know, false pretenses and being forced to resign in what was a bizarre situation. You've got to deal with Cutter where, you know, they're essentially trying to literally turn it into an island, you know, and there are issues with Al Jazeera. They have issues. I mean, there are, are continuous issues, the issues with Canada over, you know, it, it, he is a very emboldened person. So, you know, it, it, it took it took this to actually bring some pause to some things. But, you know, I was looking at the papers yesterday and I haven't had a chance to really do it today as much as I wanted to yet. But I'm going through the, the, the New York Times and the, the Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal. And there's there's one on the Clintons, you know, an op ed there. There's this op ed here. There's that one there. And. You know, there are some things still on Khashoggi. You know, the Post just ran his last editorial. There are some things on, on doing business in Saudi Arabia. But, but we're moving on. We're moving on. And, and we're moving on. Do you think WWE and, and is going to get a lot of questions on the conference call this week? They absolutely are. They absolutely are. And they're going to get more going forward. And this is going to be something that I think some people are really going to be stuck to. But the issue is going to be, as it goes along, when it comes to these these investors' conferences, I mean, one of the things to point out is in the business world, yes, this has been a big story as far as like the Financial Times and Wall Street Journal and people who also cover news. But when it comes to business, people are only looking at this from the perspective that you had pointed out, which is Saudi Arabia's you know stock market is down 7%, wiping out all of its gains. And you have a lot of companies who do a lot of big business over there because they have a lot of money to spend that have things tied up right now. And as time moves forward and as things go on and as this case, again, starts to settle and as the news cycle starts to continue to churn worldwide, globally, especially, you know, in the financial world, 
you know, what's really going to change, and I hate to say that, but as this thing plugs along, WWE is going to get lucky. Now, again, people can bring it up at any time, but I don't think this is going to be a thorn in their side quarterly like I think a lot of people will. You know, once the news gets out there, people will comment on it and they'll try to make a story out of it. But I think inside the business community, unfortunately, and I think, you know, from a political heat point of view, WWE might actually just make their way through this and they may have suffered the worst hits they could have gotten really on the John Oliver show. And us talking about this past week. We'll have to see going forward, but they may have actually skated through this. They'll get a lot of it once the day of the event happens. There's going to be a lot of shine on it then. But depending on where we're at in that situation at that point in time and where we're all with the case globally, they may have actually skated through one, which is actually kind of bizarre. And, and ju- judging by how the stock price hasn't really been affected, that looks to be the case. So I, I was thinking, even if in the uh, scenario where WWE does, say, postpones or cancels this event on November 2nd, or I don't know, if even if they cancel the whole deal, would... Would Saudi Arabia have any ability to to sue WWE over breaking their deal, breaking a contract? I don't know if Mookie That's has what I was there. I was wondering about that too, but I think I, I think most of the the issue there. I wonder if it's just really a relationship issue, you know? Because if they get out of the deal, obviously, they, I mean, I, I don't know if the Saudi government's going to sue WWE if it's worth it to get out of a deal when they could just take it out on them in some other way in, in, in the entire area, including with their friends, including in Dubai, where I'm sure WWE makes some good money when they go on those shows. Yeah, I would I agree with be that. wrong about that. Well, it, it would depend, too, if it was if the U.S. is doing sanctions and it would say, OK, that deal is not a legal deal to be having right now, which would be pretty darn severe. And I don't think, you know, like people pointed out, even after 9-11, with the the challenges we were having with the Saudi government at times, there was no sanctions levied. So the idea that something like this would possibly actually get to the point of sanctions would be extraordinary, to say the least. Um, Mike, I know our, our time with our time with you is probably running a little bit short here, and I want to just make sure that we get all your plugs in. You can always hear Mike Sempervivi on F4WOnline.com. You host a, a daily show. You're even going to have a show today. It's a Sunday. You're a, you're a busy, busy man. And on Twitter, how can people follow you? At Sempervivi, S-E-M-P-E-R-V-I-V-E, just uh, the, the easiest way. I, I have other, actually, I don't have any other social media. I killed the Facebook because, you know, nobody cares about that anyway. I can put pictures of my kids up on Instagram, which is also owned by Facebook. So who's the fool here? That's me. But uh, Twitter, at least I'm active there. And, of course, you can check me out on, on uh, Wrestling Observer Live every day from 3 to 4. I do a little show called Big Audio Nightmare every once in a while. We just did a new one of those. And then... I'll pop up on random podcasts everywhere because I just like to talk about different things, including talking to you guys. And really, really appreciate you having me on. And I really appreciate the work that you guys do because, you know, uh, Brandon, you know, you probably know this. Mookie, you definitely know this. I, you know, indebted to you guys. And I think the work that you guys do is really, really important. And I, I know that I don't want it to sound like it's real cornball or anything like that, but like, there are a lot of us out here that do pay attention to other things and the world is important. And we look at things from different ways and the business of professional wrestling and its impact on the world and its impact, not just as an entertainment form, but as a business product. I mean, that's important. And somebody's got to take that seriously. And for a long time, there was Dave Melter and not a whole lot of other people. And I think the work that you guys do and that you've gotten interested in and that you have provided for a lot of people is really, really important (laughs) for the 
the bottom line of professional wrestling going forward and the, the bottom line for historians who need to look back and get an accurate portrayal on what happened. I mean, what you guys do, Brandon, the work you're doing now, writing about this stuff, and, and Mookie, the, the, the numbers crunching that I'm impressed with because I'm terrible in math. I'm worse than Alvarez. I mean, I'm just always, I'm, we're, I'm really, we're all really in debt to you guys, and I really appreciate you having me on. Well, we're really excited to have you, and uh, we're glad that someone is, is keeping the voices and the, the discussions happening every week. And it's fun to, to have these kind of complex talks. And we hope to have you on another time where maybe we can be a little bit lighter and just talk about XFL or uh, boxing or pay-per-views or something like that. Hey, you know what? I have a feeling it's coming here. You know, the, uh, the, the American uh, Association for I forget what it's called now, the Bill Polian-led league that's going to be the, uh, the big spring football monster that the XFL has got to deal with. They're cranking on uh, and picking up a lot more speed. And uh, I know that uh, some things have already come up, uh, interestingly, about the XFL and how they may want to uh, <laughs> possibly uh, fund players with a little bit of a tip from the fans and things like that. It's going to be – it's certainly going to be in an interesting road as far as the XFL goes. There's a lot of money involved with it that they're trying to push forward. So we'll have to see what happens because the competition's uh, already up and ready to go. Absolutely. And who knows, maybe we'll see a, a team in Riyadh or something for the XFL when all of this ends up actually <laughs> washing out. Uh, thanks a lot, Mike. And uh, of course, Mike's all, always over at F4WOnline.com. We'll talk to you later. Okay, so, so this Thursday, we're going to do our WWE quarterly investor report analysis, aren't we? We both got the day off from work. Yeah, that's how seriously we take this. We take the day off our jobs just to sit there and feverishly refresh the sec.gov page, feverishly check the corporate.wwe.com page, feverishly go to the uh, the conference call website and see if they've secretly uploaded the investor slides yet. Uh, we look at the transcript over at Seeking Alpha, and then we spend a ton of time cross-referencing spreadsheets and predictions and everything just to provide what I would consider the best in the biz coverage of WWE financials in Q3 it's a great time because it's going to be an exciting Q&A call. Plus, it's an intriguing time with, with the changes that have been happening. We've been covering all the metrics we can with attendance and ratings and everything over on the premium show. So you go to WrestleNomics.com, you click on that premium banner, $5 gets you coverage. What kind of coverage, Brandon? What's special about this this Q3 coverage? Uh, they might ask about Saudi Arabia this time. What What's special about our coverage? Our coverage? It's great. What do you, what do you want me to say? It's we show video. Okay. So the, the timeline talk to you about the numbers. We show you a video of us going through the spreadsheets. We show you where the numbers are coming from. Yeah, we the, cross-reference everything. This is a little and hard to follow. that only happens when our subscribers keep us over $500. And we're right on the cusp right now. Right, which we we literally could lose or gain one person. So this might be a little hard to, to follow if we just start rattling off numbers and audio. So for, for on patreon.com slash WrestleNomics, we're going to go through uh, and share our screen so you can see the KPIs, whatever graphs we might concoct, whatever spreadsheets we might come up with. But the, so the timeline on Thursday is usually the documents will start dropping at 9 a.m. Eastern, and we'll probably be tweeting about that on our on each of our Twitter accounts. And then at about 11, I, I think they usually do the conference call, which you can hear live on W's corporate website, and we'll probably be tweeting about as it happens. And then probably shortly after that wraps up, we will record an episode. We might do it live. I don't know. We'll have to discuss that. But it'll be available after the fact, certainly, uh, at patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. One of the things we do best, we come up with the top ten. What was important to take away from each of these conference calls? 
each of these quarterly filings. And there's always interesting stuff. And about the, you left off one document though. Mm. About three or four o'clock in the afternoon, the ten Q is going to drop. The real quarterly report will come out. Yes, the one where it tells us to the number how many subscribers they had. It's not 260,000, it's 262,142. Exact. Yes. So we'll, we'll get that. It should be a fun time. Um, we thank everyone who is subsidizing what you're listening to right now, the free show, because uh, they, they're over at Patreon. Uh, this week, we also we did a bonus show on Thursday. We talked about Saudi Arabia. We did a show today. We yes. talked about the hierarchy of influence. We talked about beer. Yes. We talked about Charlotte and Ric Flair getting sued. Good conversation. Yeah, really we, we, we did have an interesting conversation with the hierarchy of WWE influence and everything that goes into what happens at WWE and why, and who the various influences or influencers are. Indeed. So check us out. Uh, we hope to catch you later. Have a great day, and thanks so much for Mike Sempervivi from F4W Online joining us to talk about Saudi Arabia, geopolitics, and the crown jewel event. Bye bye. Bye-bye.